Howdy, y'all. Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we explore what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, and even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. The podcast where we think about what our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation. I'm Reverend Drew Bongiovanni. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm an Alliance of Baptists affiliated hospital chaplain working in a place that is currently called Atlanta, Georgia, on lands stolen from the Muskogee people. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith, and it's particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians, like myself, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy wherever we find it, including in our own Christian tradition, including within ourselves. And we do this work remembering that we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. Friends, you are joining me during the season of Advent. Advent is the liturgical period leading up to Christmas, marked by four Sundays. Advent is a season of preparation, expectation, and waiting. A time when Christians think about the work we are called to do as we receive the coming of Jesus into the world. So we have reached the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, which in most churches is observed with the theme of love. During this Advent season, I've been thinking a lot about waiting. Waiting for the pandemic to be over waiting for the results of an election, waiting to see if things will continue to be scarier in the world or not. And I'll admit this haven't, hasn't been the kind of waiting that's based in spiritual disciplines and serenity that I think we aspire to during Advent. No, this has been the kind of waiting driven by anxiety and exhaustion. And I had a moment let's call it a white people moment, where I had to wake up to my own internal narrative of empire. As I said, I'm a healthcare worker, and as such, I've been taking in the news and information about the dispersal of vaccines with a desperate sense of hope. And lately, as my fears take over, the thoughts running in my head have been something like, I wonder when will I get to take it? Will I, as a chaplain be at the end of the line for hospital staff? Will I have to wait multiple months? This can't come soon enough. But then, as I drove home one day last week, I was listening to the radio, and a commentator raised the point of noticing which countries are getting the vaccine first. White, wealthy nations that carry the might of empire, while other nations Nations that are primarily comprised of black and brown folks, well, they may not receive widespread access to vaccines 
until as late as 2022. So in my personal hopes for the feeling of security, my focus had narrowed, forgetting to consider what should be blatantly obvious, that I am still so privileged with so much access to safety and healthcare and resources that even what I perceive as frightening is nowhere near the insecurity that so many people in the world live with. I had to notice how easily that when my own security was threatened, I, sw- I quickly slipped into a mindset of thinking primarily about my own self-preservation. Complacency in the status quo was sitting comfortably with me in my silent, unacknowledged gratitude that I live in a wealthy and powerful nation. Friends, this is a moment of confession, and it guided me as I read our text for today. In the lectionary text for this week, one of the readings is Luke's telling of the Annunciation. And this stood out to me because very often this passage, which centers on Mary, her story, her experiences, her role as the mother of Jesus, is read on Joy Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent. But I gotta say, y'all, I'm pretty psyched to read this text within the theme of Love Sunday. Of course, we often think about the profound power of parental caregiving love when we think about Mary. Love that nurtures, protects, encourages. But as you all probably agree, Mary's story is also about powerful, liberative love. The kind of love that we need in the work of abolition. So, jumping into the text... Our reading today is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 55. It tells the moment that Mary receives news that she is to give birth to Jesus. After hearing this, she travels to visit her relative Elizabeth, who in her old age has also miraculously become pregnant with John the Baptist. After Mary greets Elizabeth, she breaks out into a song of rejoicing a song that we refer to as Mary's Magnificat. So here's the whole passage, reading from the Common English Bible translation. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 55. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. 
Then Mary said to the angel, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. As I talk about this passage, I also want to reflect on the words of an Advent hymn. Well, you could also call it an abolition hymn that I've been studying lately with my faith community. The hymn is the Canticle of the Turning, and it's written by Rory Cooney. It heavily uses the words of the Magnificat, and its refrain goes like this. My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. Rory Cooney spoke about his inspiration for the hymn and said, The idea of turning in the title was both a nod to the inner conceit of revolution, derived from the Latin volvere, which means to turn, and to the message of Jesus' preachings in all three of the synoptic gospels the core message of which was, repent and believe the good news. 
Repent translates a Greek verb, the noun form of which is metanoia. That is to say, a complete change of the self, of mind and heart, which might also be rendered as turn around. As I reflect on my own confession that I shared with you earlier, it is so vital to me to think about repentance, abolition, and love as interconnected values. The voice telling me to look out for me, to hoard safety, to withdraw, retreat, huddle in, that is not the voice of love. That is the voice of fear and shame and anxiety. True empathy is something that I believe we as white people always have to work on building, is built from our outward care of others. It's a simple act, really, of transforming our inside voice of, I want this, into, I want this for others. I want this for everyone. This outward expression of love for others actually works to build up the care and compassion we feel for ourselves. Wanting things for others means we also value it for ourselves. The voices of white supremacy try to drive us away from this kind of love that encourages empathy and care for others. You hear it in the rhetoric of political ads. And living in Georgia, I'm still getting a lot of them on the daily. Ads that tell you to be afraid of what will be taken away, lost, and destroyed by radicals. Those voices teach only about selfish love that denies our interconnectedness in favor of saving yourself. And this is one way that I look to Mary as a powerful role model. We often talk about the many different ways in which Mary was a person who experienced considerable forms of oppression and inequality in her society. She, as a young woman, not yet married, was exposed to the highest levels of risk and danger in the moment that God calls her. Her self-proclaimed status as highly favored is also mixed with the reality that she is possibly going to be cast out and scorned by the world. And at first, Mary doesn't know what to make of the news of the Annunciation, and I have to assume that she was terrified and disoriented. I like to imagine the moments where she processed her grief and fear, her anxiety and shame. And then she does something so significant. She reaches out to her community. She goes to be with family, with her elders. And it's this interaction when she connects with someone who has gone before her. Elizabeth, after all, is about six months ahead of her in her own miraculous pregnancy that she hears words of encouragement and love. It's that moment when Mary breaks into rejoicing and tenacity and expressing the power of liberation. Mary receives love from her community and it pushes her out of her fear. The love we as white people need to cultivate and tend is love that pushes us past the narrow constraints of our own imagination. It's love that speaks to us and tells us that we can step into roles that God calls us into, roles that might feel frightening and risky, that take us far outside our parameters of safety and complacency. And this love does not ask us to forget ourselves or neglect our own well-being. 
Rather, it asks us to begin to abolish the frameworks, the neural pathways, the muscle memories in our brains that keep us captive to whiteness. Mary's story reflects a transformed embodiment. Her experience of God's calling revolves around her relationship to herself and her physicality as her sense of calling emerges with the knowledge that she is pregnant, that her physical body is creating a new world. The best part of the Magnificat to me is that Mary proclaims that the works of liberation and justice, that the coming of Jesus herald, have already started to happen. The powerful are being taken down from their thrones, and the rich are being sent away. I mean, are they yet? We talk about Advent as a time of waiting and preparation, and here we are, waiting to see if the world will turn. Mary proclaims the abolition of empire is happening even as we are still working towards it. And there's a funny thing to me about time when it comes to justice work. It's not an automated process that we get to sit back and watch. It's often not linear. We face many steps backwards in the long work of abolition. Rather, it's work that we tend to and nurture time and time again. And the gardens of justice require even more work in the winter seasons. Sometimes we have to turn and water soil that looks barren, but still contains seeds and roots, just waiting for the return of rain and sun. Or maybe instead of thinking about it like plants, we can think about justice work like Mary's experience of pregnancy. The knowledge that we are growing and caring for something inside of ourselves And that we do the work even while experiencing fear and grief and uncertainty. Sometimes our expectations, our growth, is the work we are called into. Work that we proclaim is happening, even when we haven't yet seen the outcomes. So the work of love as an expression of justice, to me, represents this endless cycle, this push and pull of self-compassion extended outward as empathy and compassion for others, then return to us as connection and relationship in our shared humanity. Our source of self-love as white people can come in the form of our confessions, our repentances, and our growth, even while we still live in a world of injustice and white supremacy. I must listen to the voice of Mary, who experiences the fear and uncertainty of her situation, and inspired by the connection and relationship with Elizabeth, becomes transformed into the possibility of how the world, the world can change, and how she will play a part in the work of God. So, in this Advent season, in this turmoil and uncovering that we have seen this year, I am challenging myself to turn every moment of fear and uncertainty into an expression of love for others. Rather than sink into despair and thoughts of self-preservation, I'm going to ask my body, what can I do to use these feelings to help the world turn? 
I want my relationship to fear and anxiety to fuel my compassion and empathy, letting it blossom into transcendent love. Love during a season of Advent becomes our own little way of experiencing the Incarnation. We can follow Mary's example by stewarding the spirit of Jesus being created and born within us. We as white people can transform our emotions, abolishing our internal patterns of white supremacy and leading us into the spirit of love and justice. We can give birth to our own little expression of Christ's love. Let it be so. Friends, my call to action today is to invite you to practice the spiritual discipline of confession and repentance as part of your Advent season. I invite you to name the ways that you notice yourself entangled in the forces of white supremacy and to call yourself to join in the work that transforms the world. And as you reflect, do so as an extension of self-compassion and warmth. Confession in a liberative sense is not about shame and critique, as we might have experienced it. It is about noticing how big we can love, how we can love others and ourselves more radically, and feel the interconnection of our well-beings. So, dear ones, take a deep breath. Remind yourself that you are holy and beloved and let your hearts transform the world. Also, I would be remiss not to mention that there are still ways to support Surge in the Georgia Senate runoff races. There are links in the transcript and and on our social media if you want to get involved in phone banking and canvassing. As a Georgian, you'll be making my Christmas if you pitched in. Thank you for listening today and joining with me in this season of Advent Abolition. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages. And we'd love to hear from you about how we're doing, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks who may be checking us out. For Christmas, we're going to have a resistance word from Margaret Ernst. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which includes references, resources, and action links. Finally, a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor, Maxwell Pearl. (laughs) 